Uh, Would you take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2? We will be looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning and talking about standing firm in our faith in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, 1 to 5. Paul writes, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gave to this church that was struggling. And Lord, I thank you that the words that he wrote are your words. They are an encouragement to the church in every age, in every generation, to stand firm in Christ. And Father, would you do that in us? Would you help us to grow deep and strong in our relationship with you so that we can stand firm in the midst of a generation that has really moved away from your word? A generation of people that are really looking in so many different directions for truth when they really just need to know you and know your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to hear your word today, to apply it to our life, and help us to point others to Jesus as Savior. Amen. One of the lessons that we can learn from the world of sports is that winning and teamwork go together. And you will see it when you watch teams play that, uh, you know, it is true that you can have some teams that maybe all get along and play together as a team and lose because they don't have the talent. But rarely will you find a team that wins that is divided. It just doesn't work that way. That if a team is going to be successful, they need to, as players, learn to play together. In fact, an athletic team can handle adversity better than it can disunity. I mean, it can handle an injury or a player that has to sit out for some reason better than it can handle division or critical attitudes or selfishness. All of those attitudes can destroy a team. And the same is true in the church. A house divided cannot stand. And if a church is going to grow and honor Jesus Christ and be successful, if you will, then everyone needs to pull together, working as a team or a family in the body of Christ. And when Paul looked at these churches that he was writing to in Colossae and Laodicea, he was concerned about what was happening there. He knew that they were under attack from false teachers that had come And they were coming and they were saying things like, you know, Jesus really isn't God. They were denying his deity. And they were denying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You know, there are many different ways or there are these uh, different intermediaries that we should know. And in doing that, they were undermining the truth of the gospel. 
And Paul was concerned. How would this church handle it? These were young believers. What would they say? What would they believe? Would they stand together in Christ? And he wrote this letter to encourage them to be united, to stand firm in Jesus, and he wanted them to know that he was also standing with them in prayer. He begins chapter 2 by saying, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And for those at Laodicea, this sister church in the same area, so that you may know that I am with you, united in this concern. The word for struggle, again, is a word that was used in wrestling. You know, it was used for those two competitors on the mat that are straining with all of their might to try and win and overcome their foe. And Paul says, I am wrestling with you in prayer, just like that. Now that's a remarkable statement again to me for a a couple reasons. One was that Paul had never been to this church. He had not met them, and yet he was committed to praying for them. And I think about that, and that, that challenges me and it also encourages me. It encourages me that our prayers can make a difference even on the other side of the world with people we have never met. That when we come before God and pray, and we pray on behalf of, say, those that we have sent out from our church as missionaries, or those who are working in other lands, or we just pray about concerns that we are aware of for the persecuted church, for believers who are in prison, for nations of the world to come to know Christ or be open to the gospel, our prayers make a difference. And when we stand united with them, God hears and he honors those prayers. But I'm also challenged by Paul's example too in that when Paul wrote this letter, I mean, he was in prison. Uh, He was under house arrest. We believe that it was during the time that's mentioned at the end of Acts where he is in Rome. He's under house arrest. There are Roman guards there. He would spend much of his time simply chained to another guard so that he couldn't run away or escape. I mean, Paul has his own problems, if you will. You know, his own concerns. But he's not just thinking about himself. He is praying for these believers. He is concerned about what is happening in their life. We all have problems. But our problems shouldn't keep us from praying for others that we know as well. And what did Paul pray for? Paul prayed for encouragement for them, he prayed for unity in the church, and he prayed for wisdom, godly wisdom. And so should we. As we look at this text, I want to highlight three things for you. Number one, we need encouragement. All of us need encouragement in our life. The word encourage means to give courage or hope or confidence. It's to really kind of pour it in, to come alongside of someone to help them and lift them up. In Greek, that's literally what the word parakaleo means. It means to come alongside of someone to help and to lift them up in their faith. It is also the name that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit. In John 14.26 and John 15.26, He called the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the comforter or the counselor who comes alongside of us to help us in our time of need. It's like this. If you know someone who is in the hospital 
And you go to visit them, and you go and you ask, can I pray for you? Or you listen, or you are just there in your in presence, and you are with them. You are coming alongside of someone else to encourage them and lift them up and give them strength. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that is to be our ministry too. Well, how do you think these believers in Colossae felt when they got a letter from Paul? And he wanted this letter to be read publicly to them and also into the sister church in Laodicea. And I I would believe that that was a tremendous encouragement to them. That Paul had taken the time to write, that he knew of their concerns from Epaphras, that he was uh, interested in them and he was praying for them. I, I bet that just lifted them up. I mean, think back in your own life. And what were your memories like the first time that you read the Scripture and you heard God's Word in its truth? You know, I think back as a young believer reading God's Word for the first time and going through the New Testament. It was powerful. I mean, those words stuck with me and they hit home as I would come upon different passages that had real application to my life. Here are these believers you can imagine gathering in a house church, And this letter is read to them, and it comes in power as an encouragement to them. Encouragement is one of the ways that we minister to one another. Hebrews 10.25 says that we are not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're not to be uh, Christians who are trying to do this on our own. And there are people who do kind of drop out from church or think that, oh, my spirituality, that's just a matter between me and God, and that's it. That's a lie. It is not just between you and God. God has called us to be a family in the body of Christ, and we need one another. We need the encouragement that comes from times of fellowship. We need to be challenged in our faith to grow so we don't become spiritually lazy or apathetic. We need the encouragement that comes from being together so that our passion for God is strong. It's like a a fire uh, that is flamed or that is encouraged by the the, uh, joining together with other believers. And we are to do that all the more as we see the day approaching. William Barclay wrote that one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to laugh at men's ideals. And it is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. And it's easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. But we have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of thanks or praise or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. And blessed is the man or woman who speaks such a word. That is really good and appropriate, isn't it? I mean, the world is full of discouragers. And it's easy to sit on the sideline and critique and grumble and complain and to, you know, find fault in others or what they may be doing. What we really need are more people who will come alongside to encourage and lift up and build up. Who could you encourage this week? Maybe there's someone you know who is ill or hurting or discouraged. And you could 
call or stop by or visit or pray or send a letter or a note that would really bless them. Maybe there's somebody whose hard work you appreciated and you could affirm that or recognize what they've done and say thank you for what you do and how much that means to me. Or maybe there's a, a young uh, child or a student that you know and they need encouragement. Maybe they're wrestling with some things in their life and for you to come alongside and say, I believe in you or I'm praying for you or to put a hand on the shoulder could really mean a lot. It's amazing how many times people have shared a story of someone coming at the right time, just the right word, has been a shot in the arm or encouragement to them. You know, one of the areas where you could apply a message like this would be even in encouraging our missionaries. Uh, just in the foyer today, we've set out a box with folders for different missionaries and missions that we support in our church. And uh, we're gonna, we've asked you, if you would, to include maybe a note or a Christmas card or whatever you would like to send to them as a greeting. You could put it in one of those folders for them and we'll get it off to them. And we'll try to get it there by Christmas. So if you could do that soon, we would appreciate it. But there are just many different ways that we can be an encouragement to others at home, in the church, in school, in our work. We need that. Secondly, we need to stand together in love. Paul prayed that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love. And that word united means literally to be knit together. Uh, he'll use that same word in uh, chapter 2, verse 19 to refer to the function of our ligaments and tendons in the human body that hold everything together so we don't just kind of fall apart. And he's saying that we in our faith should be knit together in love in that same way, tightly held together by our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul was concerned about that. He was concerned about the unity of the church. Not just here in Colossae, but in all of the churches that were being started all over the Mediterranean region. In Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, he wrote this. He said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then I want you to do these things. And when he uses that kind of question, if, he knows that they have experienced it. And so he's really saying, because you in your life have experienced encouragement and comfort and fellowship and love and tenderness and compassion, now show that to others. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's encouraging us to be a people that are not self-centered, but are Christ-centered. And who look around us and see the needs of of others and the opportunities that we have to serve and who choose to be a blessing in their life. Jesus prayed for that too. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church as a witness to the world that others might see us united and see our love for one another and be 
drawn to Christ as a result. In John 17, he said, I pray that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He is praying for the church in every generation that we would be united, that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. Wow. That's a high calling, isn't it? That's a powerful thing when it happens. It is a tremendous a witness to the world. And so it should come as no surprise that one of Satan's schemes is to divide the church and to divide Christians. And how does he do that? Well, he can do it by masquerading as an angel of light in order to deceive others, like with these false teachers that were coming to the church in Colossae. And sometimes he divides Christians by that kind of false teaching. He can do it by attacking the credibility of the leaders of the church, even like Paul. And there were churches where Satan was in sowing those seeds and saying, you don't need to listen to Paul. I mean, Paul's not really that impressive. Paul's not that very good of a speaker, you know. His letters might be weighty, but when he's in person, he's really not that impressive. And Satan comes along and he plants seeds like that that attack the credibility of the church or its leaders. Satan comes along and he encourages self-centeredness, pride, indifference. Satan comes along and he can get people to nurse their hurts rather than talk it through and experience God's forgiveness and healing. He encourages bitterness critical spirits, judgmental attitudes, all of which can divide Christians and divide a church. And it's interesting that Paul, when he calls attention to these things in other letters, for example, in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, he says, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. Satan has a plan to divide the church. Don't fall into his traps. Instead, choose to work through things. Choose to forgive. Choose to love one another. Choose to be honest and speak the truth in love. What can hold us together in the body of Christ? It is only Christ that can hold us together. It is our love for Him and our love for one another that unites us. And love is a powerful bond. Even in the secular world, Love is a bond that unites people. A number of years ago, there was a program on PBS, and the topic was this. Why do men die for their country? Today, we would expand that to say both why do men and women die for their country, as we now also have women serving in our military. And this particular program examined the Marines, the French Foreign Legion, and the British Commandos. And they discovered that discipline was important. The history of the regiment created a sense of loyalty to a great tradition that was also important. However, they discovered that the most important reason why men were willing to risk their lives had to do with their love for their fellow soldiers. And they gave an example of one a soldier who they interviewed who had been wounded in battle and he was in a hospital. And in the hospital, he learned that his unit was going to be going on a very dangerous mission, 
And so he escaped from the hospital, rejoined his unit. He was injured again in that battle. He was taken back to the very same hospital where he was before. And they asked him, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And he responded in this way. He said, you work with people and you live with them. And you soon realize that your survival depends upon one another. And when you share food and hunger, glory and humiliation, recreation and sheer terror, you soon develop a sense of loyalty that is greater even than the love for one's own life. It is much the same way a parent will risk life and limb to save their child from harm. Whether it's on the field of battle or whether it's in a local congregation, we only see success when we realize that we must be able to count on one another and in turn be counted on by them. You know, in the church, when we work together, when we minister together, when we pray and we serve and we fellowship and we break bread together, and we come and we worship our Lord and we hear from His Word, the bond of love that we share with one another grows stronger. And it unites us. And it honors Jesus Christ. We really do need one another. And thirdly, we need wisdom. The wisdom that is found in Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that they would have the full riches of a complete understanding of who Christ is. So here he is. He's praying for encouragement. He's praying for unity in love. And he is praying that they will grow in wisdom. That they will understand how much they have in Jesus Christ. It's what God wants for us too. That we would understand how much we have in Jesus as a result of our relationship with Him. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the joy of being part of the body of Jesus Christ. We have a tremendous future in front of us as well as meaning and purpose in this life. And all of these things are found in Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul calls this a treasure It is more valuable to know Jesus Christ than anything else. Do you believe that? And in Him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word hidden doesn't mean that it is unattainable or unreachable. Instead, it's more like a gold mine where the more you dig, the more you find. And it takes time and effort and diligence to dig into God's Word. But again, the more you dig and the more you read and study and apply that to your life, the more you find. The more we study the Scripture with an open heart, the more amazing this book is. And the more we learn and apply it to our life, the closer we grow to Christ. And there is this progression that comes as we grow in wisdom, when we grow in maturity, and we are seeing God change our life, and we are transformed. That takes study. It takes diligence. It takes obedience. That's why we encourage everyone to participate in an ABF or a small group or one of the classes that we offer to help you grow deeper because we need that. 
We need to understand God's word and his word changes us. The wisdom that Christ gives, though, is not just a spiritual wisdom. It is also a wisdom that helps us to understand the world around us and to see life differently or see our vocation differently. This week at uh, the dinner table, we were having a conversation one night, uh, Gail and Ben and I, and Ben's taking a class at the high school on economics, and that was my undergraduate major in, in college. I majored in economics. And so as a part of the conversation, Gail asked me, you know, what was it about economics that you enjoy? And I said, you know, I really did enjoy the math and the statistics. I mean, I like that. I was good at it. I enjoyed digging into it in that way and understanding our country and our economy and how it works. But I said, during those years, God was at work in my life. And he also began to change the way that I looked at my studies. And one of the things that was very interesting to me was to see even the spiritual applications in economics. Now, I won't give you a whole lecture on that. We could talk about a lot of different aspects of it, but I'll share one example. In my course of study there, one of the books that I read was a book written by Max Weber, we would say Max Weber. He wrote a book called The Protestant Ethic and the Rise of Capitalism. And the question that he was looking at was, why did Europe, and especially Northern Europe, develop and prosper as it did compared to the rest of the world? What was going on there? Why was Europe different? And why was Northern Europe even different from Southern Europe in the development of capitalism and prosperity that expanded? And Weber found a strong connection to Protestantism and in particular to Calvinism. And what was it about Calvinism that was unique? It was the teaching that everyone has a calling or vocation and can use their, their work in a way to glorify God. It was the teaching about a vocation, that it wasn't just the priest who was called to a particular area of service and could use their gifts to honor God, but everyone could. The baker, the shoemaker, the farmer, the doctor, the merchant, all have a calling from God and can use their gifts for His glory. Prior to the Reformation, there was kind of this breakdown of society where you had God, the priests, and the people. Or you had kings and lords and commoners. And if you were just a commoner, an ordinary person, what sense of dignity and worth was there for you? But that began to change when people looked at their vocation differently and see themselves differently. And now they could use their gifts in a way that honored God and can make a difference in our world. And God had called us to do that. He had called us to transform our world for the sake of Christ. And all of a sudden, things began to change. That belief was revolutionary. And what we began to see was how the gospel not only changes hearts and brings salvation, the gospel can also lift people out of poverty. It can lift people out of the oppressive situations in which they find themselves, and it can provide encouragement and dignity and hope. We still need that. We need believers today who see their work as a calling from God, and who live and work for His glory.
You know, I think a very good question for all of us to answer would be this question. How can we use our work? How can we use our position to serve and honor God? How can we use the vocation that we have? What are the relationships that we have? And how can we use those to both honor God by our integrity, our character, our witness for Christ? But how can we also use those situations or our position to point people to Jesus and to lift Him up? You know, when we understand that and we get that, then what happens here on Sunday morning just carries over into our week. And there's no separation from Sunday to Monday. We leave this place and we do enter our mission field. And we understand that what happens outside the church in many ways is even more important than what happens here. We come together and we are encouraged and we are built up and fed and challenged. But when we go out and make a difference in our world, God is with us and we become the people of God at work, bringing change to a world that needs that. What is it that God wants you to do? Paul's concern for the church was amplified by the fact that he was not there in Colossae, but he was with them in spirit. And he tells them that. He said, I am telling you these things so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Those last two expressions of how orderly you are and how firm your faith is, they are both military, military terms. And what they mean literally is I am rejoicing to see that you are not breaking rank under fire. You are standing firm in the battle. And we can count on you as you fulfill your assignment from God. What a great thing it is when the church gets that. And we stand firm, united, encouraging one another, growing deep in our relationship with Him. If we are going to continue to grow in Christ and be a light for Christ in this community, then we need to encourage one another. And we need to work together in love. And we need to keep growing in our relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, the challenge is there before us. And now it's really up to us to apply that in our life. Lord, would you show us what we could do this week even to encourage the people around us that you've brought into our life, to show our unity in the body of Christ by our participation and service and ministry, to really continue to grow in our relationship with you and to take that next step, whatever it may be, Help us not only to see our calling as uh, something that we do to provide a living or earn a wage, but to see it as an opportunity to minister to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray it all in his name.